Hello, world, and welcome to episode five of the Pink Bike Podcast. And we have a big one today. Can you trust bike reviews? With me today, I have Brian Park. He's my boss. Brian, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? Mike Casimir, my other boss. How's it going? Good. Great. Good. And I'm Mike Levy, your host for this episode. Guys, I want to start this thing off with a question. What dumb purchases have you made during the lockdown? (laughs) Uh, Kaz Kaz will blow my cover if I don't say it off the top, but lockdown must be getting to me. I'm considering buying a hardtail, like the actual dumbest purchase of all. What for? What what are you going to do with that? That's a good question. I, I got some new brakes. And I didn't, I didn't need new brakes. And I was like, what brakes, what bike should I put this on? And yeah, I don't know. I spiraled. Yeah. You have a full suspension bike. So I suspect that hardtail is a waste of money, but yeah. who knows? I have a full <laughs> suspension bike and I have a gravel bike. Like, oh, so you already have a hardtail. <laughs> yeah. You have a hardtail. I don't need, but yeah, I definitely spiraled down to like 3am. Like, why doesn't anybody make the thing that I'm looking for? Scrolling through weird Eastern European, like one-off makers and there's yeah. probably a good reason for that you know that right <laughs> no no it's it's everybody else that's wrong casimir what have you bought over the last couple of weeks that maybe maybe out of character a dumb purchase made during lockdown yeah i haven't i've been pretty good i haven't bought anything like too impulsively i bought some ski boots probably didn't really need ski boots right now but that's impulsive. you're so freaking responsible it's so annoying It's so annoying. I bought a welder. (laughs) I don't know how to weld. I've never welded in my life. I have no idea what I'm doing. I bought a welder. Yeah, I got an ice axe and some ski boots. I mean, these seems like things we don't need but are fun. So I feel like you got the ice axe and ski boots at the end of season when everything's nice on sale. And that's like a responsible thing. Like you do those things. Buying a hardtail is the dumbest thing in the world. And buying a welder, Levy buying a welder is the second dumbest thing in the world. I got another van too. I sold my other one. Yeah. You have two vans now? No, I sold it. I sold all oh, my cars. I'm down to one. I just have the all-wheel drive GMC Safari. Yeah. Good. That's a, yeah. that's a good purchase, though. Good. Yeah. So, Casimir, when, when you were looking to buy that van, did you look at van reviews by any chance? Did you go to, like, van.com and read van reviews? I did look van? at some YouTube videos. I, look, I found YouTube videos of people drifting their all-wheel drive Safaris and Astro vans. I was like, ah, that seems good. So, did that convince so, yeah. you? You're like, I, yeah. this guy, can, <laughs> he's getting slideways in the van. I should uh-huh. probably get it. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I did look at reviews. Like, I mean, obviously it's like a, it's a 99 or something. So like, it's been around for a while, but yeah, but yeah, I look and see like if people have had major issues or things to look for and like if they work well and yeah, did, I look at reviews for most. Did things. you, did you go on to pinkvan.com and then complain that nobody had done a review, uh, recent, like this year of your <laughs> 99 Astro van? Yeah, I was looking Safari at a review whatever. for, you know, it was, a, it was a 2020 Sprinter and I was in the comments saying, how come you didn't compare this to my 99 Astro van? And I got really mad. Yeah, it seems fair. I was trying to find some welding reviews. It's confusing out there when you don't know anything. I'm not going to lie. As someone yeah. who knows nothing about welding or welders or any of that stuff, learning from scratch. Yeah, it was, uh, there's lots of stuff out there and it's, it's confusing. Why did you buy a welder? Uh, to weld things. It's like a hot glue gun for metal. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay sorry let me rephrase what are you planning on welding uh something on my car probably when it when it breaks in half which will happen either today or this week or at some point soon so I really you be ready it was a responsible purchase is what you're saying frugal when, even when the house burns down it won't seem that way but i will be able to piece my car back together to live in 
<laughs> It'll be cramped with three dogs in the mini. <laughs> like that Sarah doesn't get us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, my girlfriend, she could come too, but she probably won't want to. <laughs> I do not blame her. <laughs> so today's topic, we're going to get to this. Can you trust bike reviews? You're looking for new stuff. You want a new bike. There's a lot of bikes out there and there's a lot of places to get information. You could get them, obviously. You can get reviews from us, Pink Bike and other websites. You can get them on YouTube. You can get them from, from blogs and you could just get them from your bros. Who should you trust and how should you go about making these decisions? I guess the first thing we should figure out is like all the different kinds of reviews there are, right? Eh? Yeah. I mean, a review is just an opinion and some soapboxes are more like set up than others if you're a like there's the media websites like pink bike and vital and nsmb like independent bike review sites but there's also crowdsourced reviews i remember when i was young going through all the mtbr consumer reviews and being like how many chili peppers mm -hmm. of all mm -hmm. the things you know and then there's consumer reviews from your friends there's also you know, especially lately, we see a lot of like sponsored athlete ambassador style reviews. It's and confusing. That, yeah. And how, that, how, and how do kinda, people tell the difference? Well, that one, that one in particular gets a bit complicated because sometimes people have very good nuanced reviews, but they're also paid by a company like paid by the bike brand. So you have to just be aware of those things. So we've got magazines, mm -hmm. we've got websites like pink bike and stuff. And I put those in the same category as magazines. That's media. It's professional media. Uh, you've definitely got your YouTube, YouTube crowd. Um, and then you've got your pro riders and you've got like, your, your Joe reviews. So there's at least five, five or six different ways to get your information on these bikes. I'd put, I wouldn't segment YouTube off as a separate thing necessarily. Like there's YouTube from, from media and then there's YouTube from ambassadors and then there's also just citizen journal, YouTube mm -hmm. stuff, consumer, and they all have their different pros and cons. For me, the big thing is that I think everybody is doing reviews. It's just, it's an opinion and some opinions are more correct than others. And I think when everybody does a review, they're just trying to be useful to other people. Like I think that's the ultimate goal of a review. Should we talk about media reviews first since, mm -hmm. since we're the media? Yeah, that, that makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah. We do those sometimes. Yeah. yeah, every now and then. I've done a few. <laughs> done a it's couple. worth saying that's not all we do. No, like, but we I, do a lot of them. I mean, as you know, it's kind of our job, as, at least for Levy and I as tech editors, we check out the new things and review and hopefully tell people they're worth their money or let them see what the new technology is. So it's a good good chunk of our jobs, I'd say. For sure. But I do think that sometimes it's there's some confusion about what's a review versus what's a press release or a first look or whatever else first ride review what oh, the God. fuck is a first ride review people it's <laughs> nothing worst. yeah that doesn't mean anything yeah that's seo it's exactly what it is which makes sense because when a new bike comes out i want to see the review for this bike so i search for specialized enduro review and even though it's only been out for 10 hours there's a good chance somebody will have a first ride review article up let's just explain that because that's actually a common comment a lot of times you get into these first looks and then we'll see the comment underneath it says review tomorrow. Casimir, uh, tell everybody how that works a little bit and why that happens sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, we, we try to avoid it being exactly like that. But what happens is companies a lot of times let us have the bike ahead of time. You know, whether it's a month, maybe two months, we get the bike before the consumers are able to have them. Um, for them, they put an embargo date. So basically that means there's a date when we can publish our article about the bike. And we agree to that date because they let us have the bike early. So basically, 
we're able to spend time on the bike. And then when it's launched, we are already have our ride impressions done. And so that's why sometimes you will see like a spy shot. And then pretty soon after there's a review. When we agree to an embargo, I have the policy that the person who gets the information about a bike or goes to ride the bike or gets the bike is siloed off from the rest of the tech editors on that bike. So if a brand sends Levy a bike, Levy gets all the information on the new bike, but then that brand also decides to race that bike at like an EWS or something. We have photographers at those, those events and their job is to get a photo of an unreleased bike. That's their job. So they send it through. Levy's not allowed to tell anybody else all the information he's gotten about that bike. And so Kaz would then go, oh shit, spotted, new whatever, and put that up. And it might be that that, well, often it is that the brand has decided to get some hype for their launch next week. Wait, and that's wait, why they've, I know, are, you are you telling me that these spy photos aren't actual spy photos? I'm sorry, Mike. <laughs> well, sometimes they are. Sometimes, sometimes they legitimately are. Those are the best ones. Because the ones, you, yeah, the ones where we kind of know the bike's coming and yeah. kind of not. Yeah. And so those we, are a little sillier, but yeah. We definitely, we've posted spy photos and these companies have reached out to us sometimes have been like, holy shit, like we did not want anybody to see that. Like, can you please take it down? And like, we can't you raced it, it at a You raced it at a, at a global event or whatever. Yeah, fair game. 100% fair game. But and people are just doing their jobs. You know, but on the flip side, it's silly to expect the media not to take photos of and talk about a bike that you're racing in public. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so kind of back to the embargo thing. So that's the reason you do see a review come out basically right when the bike is launched. Ideally, we've had the bike for a little bit ahead of time. We get some time on it. Sometimes we go to our press camp. We'll talk about those more. But the best scenario is we get the bikes on our own home turf, put together the review. It gets launched. and You can kind of read all about it right away rather than need to wait it does make us look a bit silly sometimes when it when the timing does work out like that though you know mm -hmm. yeah levy that's the thing that makes you look silly <laughs> just just that <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know how to fix that really like if we see a bike we need to tell people about it so we're not going to ignore new things that photos are floating around on and we also can't break these embargoes because that's kind of our agreement in order to get the bikes ahead of time so we get to check them out uh, before they're actually available to the public so definitely a Kind of a little interesting line there, but it seems like uh, I think out. as long as we're clear about things, it's fine. As long as readers know what's what the score is and it's clearly labeled as what it is and brands understand what, what our approach is, I think it's fine. Um, as, a, as a reader, you get the information you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And embargoes are used in, I mean, all sorts of industries. Yeah, it's it's not an it's not an uncommon thing. It's not a dirty thing. It's not a secret or anything like that. It's just kind of some of the rules that we have to play by, unfortunately. It's also not. It's also bikes. Yeah, you know, it's just bikes. Not, too. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's just bikes. It's it's nobody's living or dying because we didn't tell you about a bike today instead of tomorrow or something. It's fine. Yeah, we all also have biases as well, too, don't we? Yeah, we should definitely, before we spend this entire podcast talking about how great the media is, we should probably talk about some of the downsides of media testing. Yeah. So the cycling industry is not not a large industry, that's for sure. You, once you've been in here for a few years, you know everybody. We all have friends in the industry and we all we all have preferences. We all like certain companies or certain bikes or it could be just where we live, like certain bikes just work better. The idea, of course, is to not let any of that color how we feel about the bikes. But I mean, I think I'd be pretty, pretty stupid to say that it can't ever color our feelings about the bikes. 
It's not realistic. And not just ours. You know, the everybody in the mountain bike media faces a similar challenge. We also get different treatment compared to a consumer, maybe like a consumer review. The consumers paid their money for the bike and didn't get flown to somewhere cool to ride a, at a press camp. Now, I know you guys have some stuff to say about press oh camps. Boy. Yeah, we'll get into those. <laughs> but I think there's a fair enough bias that happens because of the treatment that journalists get from brands. Regardless, putting aside the press camp thing, that just for subtext, the guys, going to press camps isn't as awesome and life-changing as people might think from the outside. It can often be very frustrating and challenging to travel all over the world and be jet lagged for a day of riding in a place that doesn't have as good of trails as your home trails. So there are some downsides there too, but in general, your bike probably got checked over before it got sent out. Even if brands say it it didn't and that you got treated like everybody else. If there's a problem with a shock tune and you talk to the brand, they will bend over backwards to get something fixed, etc. Like there is bias built into there. Even if we try not to let that affect us, I think that we'd be naive to say that it doesn't. I will say yeah. that it does help that both Casimir and I aren't exactly the the most outgoing people around. You know, neither of us are like the kind of people that are going for rides with product managers all the time and, and all that kind of stuff, which helps, I think. It's, yeah, I mean, distance is good, some distance. Yeah, and I think as like maybe not even necessarily biased, but we do have a kind of the advantage that we have access to people higher up in companies than your average consumer would. So, you know, if I have an issue, the guy I'm talking to isn't your local shop guy. I'm talking to a few steps above that, which can get you answers more quickly, which is nice for us. But if I was a consumer, I might not have that same advantage of being able to like quickly have an issue resolved. It might take more emails, more phone calls, more waiting for your shop to talk to the company to talk to the... So that's definitely an advantage we have that's not always available to consumers. Especially, that's why we kind of laughed at these first ride review things that, you know, we've definitely written things that said first ride review too, but that's not a realistic thing, especially once you've you've traveled across the globe and you have, I don't know, Casimir, four and a half hours of riding a bike on some cow paths in Switzerland, you know, that's mm -hmm. not a review. <laughs> yep. It, I will say that there's valuable information you can get from a press camp and the complaining about it does us no favors. It's some serious first world shit. Like it's a great job and we appreciate it. And especially now. <laughs> yeah. And there are good reasons to go and visit places and get out of our little, well, in, in this case, a Pacific Northwest bubble. Yeah. And it's, it's not even that they're, they're not as awesome. I mean, they're, it's a great time. Sometimes you're with your, you're with some people and mm -hmm. you're riding bikes, like it's not bad, but for Casimir and I to do our job as best as we can to tell these people about these bikes, how the bikes are working, it's best to do it on trails that we know, yep. you know, and for a lot longer than just like a two hour ride with 20 other people, great times, but not ideal for doing, doing our work. That's for sure. Right, not ideal for giving a, a verdict on a bike. Yes, It can be exactly. valuable for getting information about a bike and getting FaceTime with the right people to maybe get some deeper intel, especially if there's like a, you know, you went to Cannondale two years ago and you got all the like billions of old Cannondales and see, looking inside the belly of the beast, stuff like that stuff is cool that you can't do from home. And, and the engineers don't normally come here. Sometimes they do, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's just, and that kind of puts us into there's 
So people that aren't aware of how it works, a lot of times we'll have a first look and that would come from a press camp, maybe to be even a first ride. So that will tell you our initial ride impressions because obviously two hours on a bike, it lets you kind of get a taste for it. You kind of know a little bit about it and then we'll follow us up later on with a full review. And we, we try to make it clear that one is a first ride and one is a review just so you don't people don't get the wrong impression that we're putting out this whole big review after only a couple of rides because we usually have one for one to two months uh, before the review comes out so you know and i'll be that'll be mixed in with other bikes there but you know it's i don't have a set amount of miles or vert just because every bike is different but yeah. you'd maybe have more time on a bike that you're struggling to get along with yeah there's kind of like three stages as far as like with reviews go you know first the first initial part is i'm just gonna be setting the bike up that usually takes you know one to three rides some bikes take more than that but usually within three rides you should have the suspension settings all the little, you know, cockpit stuff, everything's dialed. So after that, that's the middle part of testing, which is my favorite part, which is just riding, like putting miles in, not you really don't have thinking to about the shock pump anymore. Yeah. You don't have yeah. to think about the bike that much. You're just kind of riding and riding. And then you get kind of towards like the taper off part where you want to start working on the review. And then you start thinking about the bike kind of, you know, just really paying attention to what it's doing in different scenarios, maybe do some more comparisons. Um, and then after that, it's kind of writing the review. So that's kind of the stages that I go through is putting yeah. it in. I'm I'm similar to that. It depends a lot on the bikes as well too. I've I've definitely had bikes that I ride, you know, 15 times and I'm like, I get this. I know what's happening. I can talk about it. I can explain it. I know where it's good. I know where it's bad. I know who it suits. And I know who it doesn't suit. And then there are other bikes that like you just keep riding and riding and riding and I want to sit down and write about them and talk about them, but nothing really stands out. And for me, those ones, they take a lot more time. But I was looking through my Strava this morning, actually, before we started talking, and a lot of the riding seems to be, you know, 20 to 30 rides kind of on a bike. But again, it depends. And like Casimir, a lot of them are early setup rides to begin with, and then time to head out way into the bush and, and then kind of go from there. So I think every media is going to have a different protocol for testing and what's what constitutes a review versus we're giving crap to the first ride reviews but whatever like the output is we're talking about real full bike reviews here and every media is going to have a different amount of time or a different set of standards but i think one of the big cons of all media reviews is that there's no real truly long-term testing uh, it's rare that any traditional media review is going to blow through a set of pivots or, or pivot bearings you know, or be able to tell you about that. Yeah, I mean, like it kind of comes into, if you're going to do a true long-term test, by the time that test came out, likely there could be a new model to replace it. So it's kind of a, a difficult thing. You know, we do reviews like drivetrains and suspension products. Those take longer. And we, you know, we that's just because we need to put enough time on it to kind of hopefully discover some of those issues. But with a bike, yeah, I can't really keep every bike for 12 months and see how it fares. You know, once in a while we will have a bike we'll keep around for a long time and kind of mention that it's an actual proper long-term test. But Overall, I'd say they're kind of a middle, you know, middle term test, basically. And, and that's the same for all media, all mountain bike. Yeah, media. I don't I don't think anybody goes. We only republish bike tests that are 12 to 18 months or anything. And, real, and really, nobody would publish anything if that no, was yeah. the case. <laughs> no. And realistically, most issues do kind of come up in those first couple of months. Like if you're going to run into things like loosening shock hardware or things failing, really those first couple of months are when you would typically encounter them. And then long term, you're going to be more like durability of bearings and that type of mm -hmm. thing. So, yeah. So, but I think that is a, a true con of, of media reviews is that if I want to know about how an annoying bearing situation is or, or some of that like wear and tear stuff a consumer review is going to be a better thing like if you're looking at your astrovan or whatever or your safari yeah, yeah. like 
you're not looking at the at the 1993 review or year 2000 review that came out the year it was it came out you're looking at the long-term consumer reports right yeah casimir maybe maybe stuff would break more often if you were fat yeah we get that too (laughs) it's a it's a fact that i'm not fat i'm on the skinnier side of the spectrum levy's not fat either despite all the donuts that he eats but both of us do ride hard and your weight you know could have something you might break some more parts if you're heavier but again you know you can't just hire someone just because they're fat that doesn't yeah. work so um, we get we get a lot of comments well not a lot but there's definitely a few comments under bike reviews sometimes that say things like 155 pounds like i'm 230 pounds you know this blah 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 and like we're just not big guys i mean i don't know i don't want to get well, fat to do my job <laughs> I don't think, I think that it just comes from a, I understand that question. Media reviews shouldn't really be failure testing. I hope not. Right? Like, 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 I'm not. We need to work all year. Yeah. (laughs) If we had Radek, the original founder of Pinkbike, who's what, 260? Oh, no. I think he's in threes. Maybe. Or maybe he has been. He's looking pretty lean these days. But he's a big, big human and like six foot four or five like he's six foot huge, 14 yeah he's a <laughs> he's huge human <laughs> you know if we had him and he rides hard doing all xc bike reviews all the time and he was breaking every second or third bike that would not that would be an irresponsible thing for us to do yeah exactly and i mean it's not that we don't break stuff levy and i have both have piles of broken parts and that type of thing and we write about them when we do break them so it's mm-hmm. and we ride a lot too which is a, the best part of our job so yeah if you're choosing bike reviews to read, you could try to search out one that the rider looks a lot like you, if that's something you're really interested in. Um, and that's kind of a thing. You can pick your favorite reviewers. That's You should be looking at multiple websites. You shouldn't just be going to Pinkbike, even though we'd love that, but you should go to like, there's so many review sites out there. Check them all out and just kind of try to get a feel for what they're writing about, basically, and what matches what you would expect. Yeah, I mean, the person writing the review may not be writing anything like how you ride, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's a small sample size. That's the problem is it, like any media review. If, if we did have exclusively 250 pound guys sending it, then a lot of 170 pound people would be getting a lot of overbuilt bikes that they don't need. They don't need 20 yeah. or 38 pound XC bikes, you know? No. Um, so I think no matter whose, whose media review you're paying attention to, downside is that it's a small sample size. I think that it's, it may be a sample size of one, but I think that's where uh, Casimir and myself and lots of other reviewers, their, our experience comes in. I mean, Casimir, how many bikes have you ridden in the last 10 years? Yeah, it's probably, like I looked at my Strava the other day, same thing, there's 70 bikes in there. You know, like I label each bike so I can know what rides I was on. There's 70 bikes in there and that's over the last eight years or so. so yeah, yeah, you know, like a ridiculous a amount. And we lean on that to give us some better perspective on the bikes that we're talking about. So we get in, you know, I got that Deviate, that review, the Deviate Highlander review just went up. Uh, It's apparently a trail bike, you know, that's what they're calling it. Well, I've ridden a hell of a lot of trail bikes and I've ridden a hell of a lot of enduro bikes. So that gives me a, a really good idea of where this thing sits in the grand scheme of things. And then I could talk about it. Right. So while it's a small sample size, you're pretty well positioned to say, because we're not doing a lot of bikes now aren't bad or good it's not like pass fail good bad it's it'll either be a question of value or a question of 
of decisions that product managers made that suit make this bike suit this person more or this person more. And you need to have ridden a crap load of bikes to be able to say who it's for. I tell you what, it would be a hell of a lot more interesting if it was pass fail, pass fail, like it was in the 90s. You know, these bikes these days are so good and things aren't breaking for the most part. Uh, everything is working really well for the most part. And Casimir, I correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like our job these days is mostly talking about where a bike suits you know the the rider that it suits the best the terrain that it suits the best maybe and where it doesn't work the best it's not a it's not this broke or this doesn't work it's this suits this person or this terrain the best it doesn't work here but it works there yeah exactly you know we, there's sometimes you'll see comments people just say oh how come you guys only say positive things like why don't you ever do this why aren't there more negative reviews and it's really because things aren't breaking as often. And when things do break, you do see the review go up. We mentioned it, you know, and address that. But overall, the number of catastrophic failures that we're seeing is relatively small. And I think at this t- point in time, it's probably smaller than ever. And designs in general of bikes have kind of coalesced to a place where they're all pretty good. It's hard yeah. to buy a bad bike where, yeah, 15 years ago, there were plenty of, I would say, bad bikes on the market. It's and it's all. It's not even that things aren't breaking anymore. It's that things, most things just make sense. Like we're not getting an enduro bike that's like, what's wrong with this bike's angles? Like people know how to get these things right for the most part. Is it, has anybody started playing Pink Bike Podcast Bingo yet? And did anybody have coalesced on the card? No, I don't use that word very often. I know you, it's a good one. Do I? Oh yeah, no, I try I've to never heard fresh. it before. It's really yeah, good. I can I can drop in bigger words, but can you, you spell when it? I, when I put big words in the reviews, I can spell. Yeah, when I use big words in the reviews, sometimes people call me out and they think that I'm flexing, but I do know some words. So yeah, I'll try to drop some bigger ones in. Okay, in the I podcast. Yeah, yeah, coalesced is the word of the day. So. It is pretty rare for things to break these days, but I mean, when they do break, you guys do hear about them. We saw a couple bikes break last year. We'll probably see one or two things happen this year as well, too. Um, But I get the impression sometimes that some people might think that it's like we're keeping secrets, you know, like this broke and we're not talking about it. And that's not the case at all. Uh, It it is. It's not the case that we're keeping secrets, but it is the case that... um, we don't go out of our way to test bad stuff because we enjoy riding. Um, and that's probably something we could do better. I think it's just a, yeah. a downside of media reviews in general is everybody wants to try things that they're going to enjoy trying. Like there's things we know that we wouldn't enjoy. They don't get yeah, many I mean, reviews. I, I like to think we're pretty open. Yeah, obviously we have, like, again, we all have our biases, but we were usually pretty open to trying things that aren't our familiar flavor but i'm very open-minded i just like I to know, say that yeah. and also i guess back to when things do break you know when they break we don't we try to find out why and we do speak to the company it's another you know part of an advantage that we have we can talk to the company try to figure out what happened what caused it if it's going to happen again so we just try to let everyone know maybe it's a one-off maybe they've seen a number of them so we do what we can for that yeah so talking about reviews i guess levy have you ever had a company try to influence what you said about their product directly yeah, I think not in that sort of like head-on way that people might suspect like, hey, you like, you have to change this. We're an advertiser. But there's definitely been some undertones on multiple occasions of people being, of companies being disappointed or upset with our reviews. And, and that's kind of the way it is, you know? You haven't been getting the derailleur cabals checks. <laughs> no, no, not so much. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and I guess, you know, it's kind of speaking about advertising. That's another thing we'll have people in the comments say, like, oh, this is all paid for. None of our reviews on Pinkbike cost money. Like, even if you're Joe Schmo in your garage and you're making some little widget, if it's cool, you can just email us and let us know what it is, and we'll check it out most, you know, if it's interesting enough to us and we think it's valid to the readers. There's no pay-to-play going on here um, as far as reviews go at all. Yeah, dudes, I want to ride and talk about what I think is interesting, not what I'm told to talk about. Yeah, you need to get back on the Lincoln Force. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Put that thing back. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, obviously, you know, Pink Bike does have advertisers, and those happen to be a lot of the companies whose products we're riding. But again, it's uh, anybody that has a cool thing, we'll check it out. So. We spent a lot of time talking about the downsides of, of mountain bike media reviews. We should talk a little bit about the upsides. You know, we, you talked a little bit about how you guys have a lot of experience with different bikes, so you can give more specific recommendations. One thing we haven't talked about is that mountain bike editors that have a lot of experience in the industry are a lot better at differentiating like flavors of Kool-Aid when they're being being fed Kool-Aid at a press camp or through a presentation or on a web little mini site or whatever. Like you guys can definitely parse marketing bullshit in a way that a lot of people probably don't have experience doing. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree. I think that, again, it comes a bit with experience. You know, when you're first starting to review bikes and things, it can all seem, you know, super exciting. You just kind of, you almost get over-enthusiastic about everything and then got to add a little bit of jadedness in there. And that helps just so you can <laughs> you can filter out your, you know, filter the marketing stuff. And, you know, there are plenty of people that are just starting reviewing that are doing a great job. But I do think at least a few years of experience helps you just to really kind of have your baseline to, to pull from and kind of know if you're being fed, yeah. you know, things. Who do you true. trust out there? Uh, I'd say Seb Stott over at Bike Radar. He's super smart. I think he's got like a physics degree maybe. So um, yeah, Seb, you know, I respect what he's doing over there. Uh, Terman over at Vital, you know, yeah, he's a Terman solid shredder of a rider. So yeah, and a lot of these are, you know, getting to hang out and meet these guys. We all mostly get along too, which is nice. So behind the scenes, we're not, you know, fist fighting and arguing and stuff. We're just, you know, we all like bikes and we're Casimir, nerds, don't so. lie. You and, ha- you and I have had a few fist fights. Just a few. I mean, I usually win, but it's okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, off the top of my head, like those two guys, they're, they're putting out good stuff. Yeah. So, you know, if a review pops up from them, a lot of times I'll give it a skim, give it a read, see what's yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Another thing I think that I'd like to add to that is... You don't get to, you don't get to cop out. Who, who do you like? Oh, I think probably, probably Seb Stott and Terman as well, too. And I mean, I've known Terman for forever and he's a good writer and a good writer. And yeah. Yeah. One thing I wanted to touch on... Such before, a cop out. Yeah, I know. No one. Well, there's, there's not many of us, you know. There's in North America. What are there like fifteen of us? Less. Oh, yeah, it's a, a fairly small crew. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, there's really. But yeah, what what about outside of North America? Well, I guess I guess your steps not in North America. Steps not North American. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on before we move on as well too is. <laughs> oh, I like Jens at uh, uh, MTB News. Yeah, Jens does yeah. a great job. Jesus, how many times am I going to have to say this? One thing I, I want to touch on. <laughs> Oh, also, I like Dan <laughs> Milner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, what about Muldooner? I like Muldooner. Yeah, Muldoon's good. Yeah, he's good yeah. too. Yeah. 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 He's also good. the correct amount of salty. Yeah. Yeah. I, that salt, I think, is important as well too. You guys mentioned being able to kind of parse through that bullshit and the the Kool Aid. And once you realize that no matter how many new things come out. The bikes kind of like, they get a little better here or there, but none of it is world changing. None of it is going to like make this thing, you know, a thousand times better than what it was last season. So it's Paradigm it's just shifting. Yeah, exactly. None of it is game changing. It's all just like, 
guess what? You guys moved your pivot a couple millimeters. You got a new shock. Like, congratulations, you're not curing cancer. The bike's great, but <laughs> yeah. But it killed the quiver. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I guess like the point of all this is not to big up ourselves or say that media reviews are the only place to get info, etc. It's for everybody to think critically about their sources a little bit. And I do think that there's a lot of merit to consumer reviews. I really do. Especially oh, yeah. when it comes to that really long-term stuff. You know, you have a, a bike that constantly eat bearings. Maybe Kazimer and I, we don't find that in the three weeks that we put a ton of rides on it. Maybe it takes three and a half weeks for those bearings to fall apart. And you could read about it in the consumer reviews. Totally. And, and just the sample size is huge. You know, if you happen to really like a shock tune, but 70% of people don't, you know, it's easy to, you can report how you like it. Yeah. But as a consumer, I do want to have that like big picture, like, oh, maybe I need to pay attention to this thing. And like even certain batches of products can have issues. So, you know, we might get a first run batch of product. Everything works great. We're like, oh, this is a good product. And then you know, a few months down the line, this next batch comes over and it turns out, you know, they got one seal the wrong size or something. Then all these consumers start having, you know, the brake issues or fork issues or anything like that. So that's when it is worth hopping in those, um, you know, in forums and comment threads and kind of seeing if people are having issues. So, you know uh, what to expect. The flip side, though, is that consumer reviews have tons of confirmation bias. Tons of it. You oh know. yeah, exactly. It's more like a failure. It's more a way to find out failures or issues like that rather not as much if you're, if the product's good or not, I would say. Yeah. Like if I've spent six grand on a bike, I'm going to tell everybody it's the best bike ever. Doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, if you bought like a $3,000 linkage fork, you might be putting up videos saying how great your $3,000 linkage fork. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. That's pointed Kaz, but Too it's true. Soon. Too yeah. soon. Yeah. I mean like that's, you know, the one of the benefits again of our job is we're not paying for these products so we can ride them a little bit more neutral than somebody that saved up all their money, spent it on this. And then they just think they have the best thing ever because obviously they invested in it. You know, it does make it, we're worse at doing, giving value judgments because of that though, too. That's why I, yeah. we generally don't do a lot of value judgments. I am terrible yeah. at value judgments. Well, yeah, just in general, general. Just you're terrible. Well, your judgment's yeah. terrible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look at the vehicle you're driving and what you paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah obviously that's something we're trying to work on too is just kind of putting things in and all this is just putting things in context you know figuring out who the bike is for who it makes sense for i also get frustrated with consumer reviews when it's okay you've ridden four bikes in the last 10 years you know and the new one is better than the last one you had four years ago or three years who ago thought? Like, i know it's Definitely. yeah it's it's hard to i guess kaz put it right like it is more about a failure modes and, and durability. Yeah. I was thinking about a, an example of how long it takes for things to switch over and how it takes kind of a, a large sample size to get a point across. It was like 29 inch wheels. There were certainly media people who said quite early on, this is the right way for these characteristics. It does have these characteristics. And all of the science in the world couldn't convince people and all of the, all of the media reports in the world couldn't convince people. It just took time and, and growing that sample size of comparing A to B before now we kind of understand what the benefits of big wheels are and what the benefits of the smaller wheels are in different situations. But it kind of took a long time to understand that. Yeah. And you'll still see people that think that we're just 
fully like we're biased only liking these one things but again it's just kind of comes from trying different you, things we do have preferences like i yeah. prefer 29 inch wheels and i don't tend to review too many 27.5 inch wheel bikes but i do feel like i've got enough baseline that i can try one out review it and not be so sucked into one certain point like i'm not just going to ride a 27 5 inch bike and say you know it needs bigger wheels but i will I, say that sometimes when it does i have enough baseline to know that all 27.5 bikes are worse than 29 inch bikes oh, God, <laughs> <laughs> just I mean, joking everybody yeah, relax but not really it's true yeah. kind of but yeah. <laughs> jokes yeah casmer <laughs> like that bronson <laughs> have you ever have you ever got it wrong in a review looking back is there a review that you you thought, hey, you know, I would have done that a little differently, or maybe this? Or you said it was great, and then and then all the consumer reviews came out and were like, it it fails. Don't think I have nothing comes nothing like that concrete, like where it failed and I said it was the best thing ever. Like I'm, I tend to be more on the neutral side with my reviews. Like I don't, I, I typically don't gush, or just my nature, I'm kind of a deadpan person he's, he's like, very level casimir is a yeah, very level very neutral, control like, person yeah chaotic neutral. PH scale i'm pretty neutral yeah. so i don't know but uh levy you mentioned one you had one that oh it's embarrassing yeah i wrote a i wrote a noli review i think it was last year i had the travel wrong in the review and man that was embarrassing like we make these mistakes and mistakes happen of course but yeah that one was but your verdict wasn't wrong you've been way more wrong than that have i Oh yeah. Oh, pick. Tell me. Tell oh, me. Oh, I don't know. I'm just pick. Choose a random one. Any, yeah, that's true. Trust yeah. fork. You're it. wrong about the trust fork. No, I don't think I was wrong about the You're trust wrong. fork. No, I don't think so at all. No, I mean, I think that uh, it doesn't do the one thing that a fork's supposed to do. Absorb bumps. It's true. It doesn't absorb yeah. bumps. <laughs> it doesn't absorb, <laughs> absorb bumps. But the handling. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. You're wrong about that one. I I and, wasn't wrong because I wrote exactly that. Yeah, I said I, it's not I, good at absorbing bumps. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair to defend myself you here didn't give it both you, my bosses you gave it still four to five tractors or whatever chili tractors <laughs> yeah you know what I, I think that if i lived in kamloops somewhere smoother somewhere that wasn't so rough um yeah i still think that thing is got a place for sure whether they are you not imagine levy is like a kamloops shuttle guy oh god Oh yeah, just fucking those big old jean things. shorts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Williams Lake on four twenty, just hanging yeah. out. <laughs> I don't know. You've been. Uh, have you not been wrong more? I mean, I'm trying to think. Well, about I don't the think, big that, ones I think that people that... people complain about the reverb. Yeah, we... mine worked fine. All my reverb mm -hmm. posts have worked fine, and I think but, what we're seeing—that's a great there... example of that's a great example of sample size versus versus and. And, report. you know, a month and then run another reverb that's on another test bike and then run another reverb and then run another reverb. Meanwhile, a consumer buys a reverb and they use the same freaking reverb post for three years. Of mm -hmm. It's going to have of issues. No and, yeah. yeah. And we don't have as much opportunity to do things like that. And maybe, you know, maybe we should think about some way to do that. Or we just have to understand that that's what consumer reviews are better at. And it's not that the media is actively trying to like lie you know or mislead anybody we can yeah, and on the flip that. side of that too is if we sometimes we'll have issues with a fork like i had an issue with a um, a fork last year and i gave it a, a relatively negative review because i had you know, a ton of bushing play uh, it just didn't feel great and i did you know my due diligence and try to make it work as well as it could the measure uh, but then yeah, yeah the man to measure yeah man to measure and uh, that fork didn't feel great especially for the price it just didn't stack up i tried it tried all kinds of things and so i gave it a relatively negative review but then the comments there was a whole 
group of people that were just kind of saying I was full of shit that didn't know what I was doing, didn't know how to set it up. And it got pretty crazy. Um, but I stand behind my review in that instance because the fork I had is what I had to review and it didn't feel great. And uh, I obviously know how to set up a fork and I experimented, but then, you know, I'm not going to write 20,000 words on all the settings that I did, but you get people in the comments where they think, oh, this guy just doesn't know anything. He did it wrong. But, you know, and at least that's one of the benefits of having been doing this for a long time. I can stand by my, uh, my setup and my testing procedure. And I know that, you know, that fork didn't stack up at least the sample that I had. Do you think that other forks, uh, others from that production run would, do you think you just got a lemon or do you uh, think I that they had, had a, a, lemon, a real problem well, with, I think there was an issue there. Cause looking, you know, I, I look at other, um, consumer sites and see if people are having issues too, just to see, you know, if I'm the only one and there were other instances of bushing play. Um, so it wasn't the only fork out there. I knew, I know they had, they just take some back and struggling with, with that bore? Um, yeah, I think the it's the sizing. Thing? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And so again, maybe in the future we'll get another one in, give it a try again, um, just because it's still out there. And you know, on paper it looks like it could be good. But again, that's an instance where I kind of stand behind that review, but people were tearing it apart because they had a fork that either felt good or they were just super fans and didn't want to see something not do as well as they thought it should. The, since we're talking about comments as well too, I wanted to touch on something that we saw last year uh, with the review we saw a lot of positive comments. It actually turned out that mm -hmm. they were having their brand ambassadors come into the review and populate it with positive comments. And I mean, this what a, what a crazy, confusing thing to be doing to consumers as well, too. Mm -hmm. They didn't even know the term astroturfing. They just thought it was a cool thing to be giving consumers the opportunity to test stuff. And I think that there's merit to that. Like. Mm -hmm having non-professional reviewers give their non-professional opinion is really cool. The problem was just that it wasn't really disclosed and it kind of just, it was pretty gray area. And so I spoke to them, they were apologetic. They won't do that again. Their intention wasn't to mislead. They just kind of did it wrong or went about it in a way that they shouldn't have. But it is a, a huge problem where oh, there are a ton of opinions on Instagram and in comment sections and things that are from either. And I don't think we should differentiate between ambassadors and athletes. Like they're, they're the same thing. It's like whether you're a professional enduro racer or somebody else who's getting free parts or whatever, it, it's kind of like you're still getting a benefit for representing these companies. We're talking about like Jesse Melamed. Like yeah, sure. Absolute shredder on a bike rides for Fox and Shimano. And so it's cool to see what the products that he's on can do and what they can handle. But when, if I see him saying that, oh, this is the best fork in the world, I'll be like, well, maybe for you, but I'm also going to take that with a grain of salt because you're paid or receive free product from that company. Don't say anything bad about Jesse. No, Jesse's <laughs> amazing. I love you, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm going to respect anyone's opinion, it is Jesse because he's got he, an engineering background. And he also he's lives a, a really block away from me and will come. Yeah, he's, and he could take you. Out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But either way, but you know, whoever, and pick any top athlete, you know, the guy that reds, wins Red Bull Rampage is always going to be like, my fork is the best, but. Uh, I mean, to be fair though, like, especially on the race side, there are things that racers will and won't accept. You'll never see a racer or you'll rarely see a racer, a top racer, compromise on tires. Or Yeah, that's why we see those blacked out really. tires. Yeah, lots yeah. of, exactly. I, th that will influence my tire buying decision more than anything else, is a blacked out tire. If a, if a brand hired Gwyn to race their tires, but black out the name, that would influence me. That would get me. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. So look at what your favorite racer is running, yeah. and if it's a blacked out model from another company, yeah. run that one. Yeah, that's a sign. So when Gwyn starts the next World Cup season, whenever that might be, and he's running Kendas, are you getting Kendas, Brian? No, no, no. If he was running blacked out Kendas, I would certainly be like, okay. ooh. Yeah, and actually, those new Kendas do look pretty good. Yeah. So we're, we're talking about sponsored athletes, ambassadors, influencers. We also have uh, GMBN who are doing a really good job at what they're doing, um, which is definitely providing a lot of information and not reviewing stuff. Yeah. And to their credit, they don't, they're specific about that they don't write reviews. Sometimes it can like smell a little bit reviewy, but they're very clear that they don't presume to tell anybody what, what to do with their money, what the way we do, the way that the media does. The other thing is like GMBN is just a, they're just pro athletes with a good media plan. You know, they're not, they are not technical editorial. Yeah. They're not reviewing. They're not reviewing things. They're making some very interesting and amusing videos and content for sure. But yeah, there's no, there's not reviews or anything there. But there are definitely ambassadors and stuff who do write reviews or like, you know, uh, a sponsored athlete, especially right now where they can't race and stuff, you're seeing a ton of Instagram, like reviewing my new whatever. Well, the, yeah, and been, I think that, they've been your sponsor for the last seven years, dude. <laughs> like, yeah. What other, what other tires can you compare them to? Yeah. Yeah. Like that tactic is pretty weird to me. I think that as for ambassadors and athletes and stuff, I'd rather see them sharing setup tips or mm-hmm. like things to get the most out of that product or like what their personal touches are. Cause you obviously know they're probably not going to say horrible things about the stuff they are paid to ride. But I do want to know like, what are you doing to make it different? Or what could I do if I had that product to make it as good as the one you're on? So I think that's where they can be of value. And um, also race Jared, results help too. So. Have you seen Jared Graves uh, set up stuff? Oh, so yeah, good. he's funny. So Jared's, good. Yeah, it's good. He And I don't agree with all this stuff, but I like that he's putting it out there because it's like, obviously I can't disagree <laughs> because his results speak for it, but it's cool to see at least what goes on in his mind. Yeah. That's I, how that's how these pros should be using Instagram. It's super yeah. interesting mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, it just gets a conversation going. And that's, you know, for everything, whether he talks about geometry or tires or all that stuff, a lot of these pros, all they have, like, if you're a pro, your job is just to think about bikes and your bike in particular over and over and over again all day long for months at a time. So they get their setup, like, so refined that it's different than what most people would mm-hmm. end up with. So it's cool to see. And I think when a pro does give their opinion about a product, there is the advantage of having used it at that higher level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, Levy, like you could definitely take Jared Graves and an EWS, definitely. I could take him on a climb. <laughs> I don't think you could. <laughs> I think I could. He won He won XC Nationals. In Australia. Yeah, do you remember yeah, our output? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you remember output? Dude, that's in, that's in a different hemisphere. Things are different up here. Now the EWS, the EWS, when it went down through like the Garbanzo, but there's a yeah. one little hill. I, on. It's not like, little. I know the hill you're talking about. It's a wall. Yeah. You put out like a thousand watts or something crazy. And like most people walk up it and you just cranked up it. Well, you he could do, you. you could do a thousand watts. I've done a thousand watts routinely, Kaz. You In the middle of a race run? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I'm not Jared <laughs> oh Gray. So Jared could crush me on the climbs and yes. the descent. So we're not yes. going to debate that. But, so, I mean, but it is cool to see his, his setup insights and I yeah. do appreciate that. And there is like, even if it's not Jared or somebody who is giving their opinion on stuff, like they do have the advantage of a crazy high level of riding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I know like Bryn Atkinson, he lives here in Bellingham where I live and he's been, he's done some cool stuff too, where he'll put up, you know, his little whole full bike check all the way down to the clicks and things. And, it's you know different than a lot of people would set their stuff up, but it's cool to see. Do you think some of these pro riders 
can get kind of stuck in their own heads in terms of bike setup or, or product preferences. Like I see some of their setups sometimes and I get, it's a bit weird. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, because one thing, if you're going to start a race season, usually your setup at the start of the race season is going to be your setup for the entire race season. You're not going to switch things randomly just to try them out where like Levy and I or other reviewers, we have bikes that are always in a constant state of just evolving products. And sometimes it's weird and confusing, but things keep switching. So we can try things all year round where a racer really can, they need to have their setup dialed and stick with it. Even if it might not be hundred percent perfect, they need to have it consistent. Um, so I do think you do see riders out there that have, there might be better frame geometry, maybe better tires that have come out since they got on that bike, but they're going to ride that until race season is over usually, if not longer, because that's what they're used to. I find the racers just in general to be fairly conservative with especially geometry, but also a lot of product stuff. I think we saw that with the, when downhill bikes got big wheels, you saw a surprising number of them not wanting to be on big wheels. For sure. Yeah. That's a great example. Do you think we'll see the same thing with, with, um, geometry? Like just anecdotally, some of the, some of the fastest pros in the world, some of the best riders in the world are vocally against against the current trend of very long uh bikes um you, we just talked about jared graves um yeah he's been pretty pretty vocal about it. and Bryn, i think Bryn was super skeptical i think he might be less skeptical now i think yeah now he's back he's on a large Bryn was riding yeah. a medium before yeah. and he's same height as me 511 now he's on a large and it, and he was one who he was so good at his previous setup he was hesitant to change and it took him time to adapt and now i'm, I'm assuming he likes it he's still on that large yeah um, he told me he likes but, it but yeah, so those are those are things that, you know, it's, it's interesting. Athletes don't always know everything. They know a lot about their setup, I think, is, is what they, comes up. They also know a lot about their setup going the speeds that they go, which if mm-hmm. you've never been to a World Cup and seen these guys in person, it almost has nothing to do with how an average person rides a bike. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's like, yeah. It's, it's like a real, like a top 10 World Cup downhiller. You people, you have like your local fast guys and you think they're really fast, right? They are really fast, but they're not going to be within the minute that they need to be to qualify for a World Cup race. Yeah, watching need- them in person is scary because you don't think people should be able to go that fast. You want to be like, slow down. It's not, you can't do that. Yeah. It's really, it's insane how quick those guys and the EWS guys, I mean, all, no matter any discipline of mountain biking at the highest level. Yeah, Isn't I think it- we, it's crazy. Isn't it weird how when you're riding behind somebody who's at that level, they're just, they're not putting cranks in and they still are just gone. Corner speed. They're just dropping me. Yeah. Like I've been lucky. Even when it's like there weren't any corners. I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I rode a Richie in Pemberton one time for some press launches. Richie Rude and Cody Kelly. I saw them for like two corners and they were gone and they weren't trying at all. I was like, I don't understand what happened because we didn't do anything. It was like a time warp. I followed Danny Hart off uh, like a medium sized road gap in Spain one time. We were going the same speed. Danny Hart has a lot more pop than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not always good that, to follow. That seat was so far up my ass. <laughs> not good. Not good. Yeah. He probably didn't yeah, even notice the road gap. Uh, he didn't. He thought I was behind him the whole time. He just kept rolling for like another <laughs> kilometer down. And then I finally caught up to him because he stopped. And the seat was bent down around the seat post. <laughs> <laughs> from my ass because i landed like on the top of the road obviously yeah. <laughs> anyways it was it was not yeah. good yeah so yeah athletes are useful but not the be all end all of advice yeah, yeah. so part of your whole like thing so if you don't look at athletes 
and you should look at athletes. You should, yeah. And you should, should look, look at, at everybody. Con- like, consumer reviews. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the, the big conclusion. It's like making here. a smoothie. Yeah, make a smoothie of reviews and then blend it up. Brian, you're gonna you're gonna buy a new trail bike. Tell us Heart how you're tail. gonna do it. <laughs> yeah, how are you sh- researching your hardtail? <laughs> oh yeah. my god. Well, Don't buy a hardtail, dumbass. I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna <laughs> buy a hardtail that has a good oh. name brand, so that after I inevitably ride it twice and come to my senses, I can sell it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I'll do. Yeah. Um. Well, but but the hardtail thing's weird because yeah, I haven't. It's not my world at all, and I'm gonna have to find some people who actually put time in on hardtails and might have something to tell me dude it's not difficult just buy a modern hardtail yeah and then don't worry about it and then hang it on the hook (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah anyway so your question was about trail bikes my question is you're going to go buy a bike what kind of advice would you give someone who's thinking about purchasing a bike where should they look who should they pay attention to i think it's just being you know, being critical and developing your sources. It's easier if you spent some time in the industry or you spent some time reading reviews and getting to know who you agree with and disagree with and who might ride like you or might weigh the same as you or have similar styles as you. Definitely, I do think trust the media to an extent. I think that there's some stuff that the media can do that other people can't. You can't get some of that comparison stuff and that contextual stuff from consumer reviews, for sure. It can really help narrow down your choices. Um, but then, for sure, get your longevity and your maintenance info from consumer reviews. Get sort of the big picture, long-term stuff from the big sample size. For sure, be skeptical of athletes and ambassadors and, and paid stuff, but pay attention to their critical components. Pay attention to you know their grips or their saddle or whatever. Don't worry about it, but they're riding what they need to win on tires, on pedals, pedals, especially that people are really funny about pedals are such an important thing. And then the biggest thing is try before you buy. No review matters at all. It's it's compared to what you think of a bike. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to chime in with just saying ride the bikes. Once you've narrowed it down, reviews are your first step just to kind of maybe narrow down the big pool of things that you're interested in. But then go to a demo day or go to your local shop and just actually ride the bike because Buying a bike sight unseen is, I, I just don't recommend it. Just, it's, you don't know how it'll handle. And uh, again, there's so many different options out there. You got to ride it first. So the big takeaway for you, Kaz, is just don't listen to us. No, you, you listen to <laughs> us a little bit in the beginning and then you just keep working through it and then you go try it out, you know, because you, you don't want to have to try a thousand bikes to figure out what's going to work for you. So that's where reviews can be helpful. You're like looking at a bike, you read a few reviews, like, oh, I don't know if I'm interested in that anymore, but. Eventually, yeah. you should still go try it. Yeah, lots of good shops offer offer demos. It's in their best interest to offer demos for sure. And, and a lot of people, I think, they're choosing. You know, they might have two or three bike shops that they're that they're going to close by, and those bike shops might have one or two brands. So they're really only picking over like you know three, four, maybe five bikes. Um, and just do your homework and remember that none of these things are terrible today. They're all pretty well, damn good. Levy, there's also this thing called the internet. The what? I know. And especially right now, especially right now, I think reviews and stuff are more important than ever because a lot of people, and this, you're not going to put this genie back in the bottle. A lot of people will buy bikes sight unseen, hopefully with a good return policy direct. But, you know, in this 
right now especially like you're not rocking up to your local sh- demo day and trying 10 different bikes at, yeah like, I mean, here now right? <laughs> you know outer bike and things are not going to happen yeah in the near future so it's you do have to put more trust in a, what you read on the internet and i think even more like we're not going to see it's not like there will be less direct to consumer stuff in five years either like it, those those direct consumer people are going to have to do a better job giving people the information to make the right decision and having good return policies for sure that's the only way people will be confident to buy the bikes okay so can you trust bike reviews we have covered it from pretty much every angle whether it's the media like us the influencers social media youtubers I think the big takeaway here is be critical and be realistic do your homework people uh, and if you can try the bike happy hunting with your bike buying purchases if you're in the middle of doing that and let us know in the comments do you trust bike reviews do you trust our bike reviews where do you go for your bike reviews we'll see you next week (laughs) 